Good morning. I mean, look at you all in the face. Thanks for my contact. Um, I, um, as, as is usual at the moment, I haven't been given a topic um, to preach on. I think the elders are planning on um, getting some, some topics in place for the next few months. But in the past, whenever I've been asked to preach, I haven't been given a topic. So uh, this week, I decided to... Um, do what might be the start of a series um, for future times I preach, or it might not, depending if I get given topics in future weeks. Um, but I've been reading a lot through the book of Romans recently, um, and the more I read through it, the more excited I get by it, the more I realise this is a, just a fantastically juicy book. Um, so I want to say, share some of my thoughts with you um, from Romans, and I'm just going to start at the beginning and work my way through, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I might continue it, I might not. I might get to chapter two in the next three years or I might finish the book, who knows? Who knows, we'll see. Um, Do I start with my naff jokes or do I not? Do I not? It's just a challenge. Jules Jules is now saying, what have you done? Um, see, um, Joe wrote a, a special song for this morning about an overweight badger, but she couldn't squeeze it into a set. <laughs> um, I'm going I'm I'm to carry on with some chimney jokes. Um, I've got a stack of them. First one's on the house. I decided to sell my Hoover. It's just collecting dust. <laughs> I phoned the local gym and said, can you teach me how to do the splits? They asked how flexible I was. I said I can make Tuesdays. <laughs> There's more. He said, I'm going to chop off the bottom of one of your trouser legs and put it in a library. I thought, well, that's a turn up for the books. I went into a shop and said, can I buy a kettle? The bloke said, Kenwood. I said, where is he? (laughs) It's just, love, it's just, really? It's just so good though. I just, I must must confess, these are all Tim Vine jokes. He's one of my favourite comedians. None of them are mine, I just, he makes me smile every time. I should probably stop there, I might do a couple at the end if if there's time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all over now. <laughs> right, um, Gail, quick rescue me. Can you put the um, slide up, please? So, Romans 1, let's go to the next one. See where we go. Okay. I might. Um, God, goodness. I might even start by reading it. Will I? Yeah, go on. Let's just bring that slide off again, actually, go while I read it. Romans 1. I'm only going to read the first half of Romans 1, because the second half feels to me like it's a different section. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may mutually that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Um, Rome, obviously, in Italy, um, is quite a long way to the west of um, where Paul tended to minister. Um, At the point of this writing, he's not actually been there. It's highly likely that there were other believers um, who've heard his message that have taken his message back to Rome at this stage. He writes this book, we, when I say we, I mean people much more intelligent than me who figured it out. They reckon while he's in Corinth. Um, And he's wanted to get to them, but he's not managed to make his way over there yet. Um, At the very end of his, or towards the end of his life, he does actually go there, um, kind of under house arrest, as it were, under duress, under guard, to go when he has to appeal for Caesar. But as yet, he's not reached there, but he obviously has heard of the faith of these churches, um, and this is why he's writing to them. Let's get to the next slide. I'm gonna, I've got quite a few slides, and I'm going to blat through them um, in a good amount of time. I'm going to go with that watch, because that watch gives me five minutes. Um, first thing to note, this book of Romans is mostly about Paul's gospel. And it does say Paul's gospel on at least two occasions um, in this book. He says, look at the bottom here, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. I don't know if you noticed, but in verse 8, Paul says, I thank you, um, my God, through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So he's talking to a church of believers And yet he wants to come to them and preach the gospel. Just let that one drop down. Believers that still need the gospel. So there's two things here. Um, One, we as believers never move on from the gospel. As the whole of this preach is about the gospel, so that will become clear as we go. Two... It is possible to hear a, a wrong gospel. To hear a, I'm not going to say a false gospel, because that implies that it's deliberately wrong. But it is possible to hear a gospel that's not Paul's gospel. 
And Paul makes it quite clear that his gospel is the one you need to hear. So they've obviously heard a gospel for salvation. They're obviously saved. But there's more for them than just salvation. And this, for me, is what Romans is about. This, for me, is what Jesus is about. Yeah? Let's move on to the next slide, please, Gail. Here we go. It's possible to believe other gospels. The Galatians, for example, believe that they were saved by faith, but continued by works. Adrian magnificently touched on this a couple of weeks back. Um, start with faith, but then you continue by doing it yourself. The Corinthians believed they were saved by faith, but they felt like they could continue however they liked. And Paul had to address them and say, you're saved, stop behaving like this. The saved Roman Jews believed that they were better than the Gentiles because of their heritage. Paul has to speak to the Jews um, in, in, Rome, in, in Romans particularly and says there's no difference between Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave and free. The Jews, in general, believed in salvation by works. So you can have a gospel that's not Paul's gospel. Next slide, please. I've said that already. Marvellous. Next slide. What is the gospel? Verse 1, the gospel of God concerning his son. Verse 11, the gospel of his son. Just to prove it's not just Paul who thinks this way. Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. So either translated the gospel about 47 times, I think about 11 times the gospel of the kingdom, about 10 times the gospel of Jesus or his son. The gospel is entirely, totally, absolutely centrally about the person of Jesus Christ and his relationship with humanity. Okay? It's all about Jesus. And the book of Romans is just a glorious, glorious crescendo, a building crescendo of how amazing Jesus is and what the gospel, what effect the gospel can have on your life. Um, it's also often translated literally as good news. Um, and I know I grew up with a gospel that didn't feel like good news. I've grew up with a gospel that felt like salvation by grace and then continuing, you know, Christian life by works. And I really struggled. I think I've said this to you before. I struggled to invite anyone to my church or I struggled to share my faith because my faith felt a lot like a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. Um, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't share that. <laughs> I loved it, but I couldn't see how anybody else would be particularly better off unless they were really miserable. If they're out there, if they're out there having fun, you're probably better off without Jesus, was what I felt because it just felt like constrictions. That was, that was not Paul's gospel. That was not Paul's gospel. I was sold a wrong gospel at the beginning of my Christian walk. Next slide. This is one of the sections I'm going to focus on today. I'm bringing some points out from this and some points that I just think is about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this is the bit for me. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. We're going to get onto this a bit later. Someone else's righteousness is revealed, not your own. It's just a beautiful thing. 
from faith for faith. Right, let's dive into this next slide. A whole bunch of things we're going to black through. The gospel is from faith, for faith, by faith, belief in Christ, the great exchange, his righteousness, freedom from the law, new life in the spirit. And then there's one little line at the bottom which wraps it all up. So next one, Gail, you're doing brilliantly. The gospel is from faith. You will only benefit from the gospel if you start from the viewpoint that you have faith in the God who wants to give it to you. It says later on in Romans, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. God's grace. You've fallen short of God's glory, but God has given you grace as a gift to justify you through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Don't stumble over the propitiation word, don't worry about that. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be right, just, brackets righteous, and the justifier the one who renders you righteous, but the one who has faith in Jesus. I've put in bold the bits I want you to focus on. God starts it. God initiated it. It's God's master plan. He is the good father that from before the beginning of time, it says in Revelation, the lamb was slain before the beginning of the world. Before time immemorial, the good father planned through the gospel, through the person of Jesus Christ, for you to be in glorious, intimate union with him in a way that is beyond your wildest dreams. Anything less than that was not the plan of your good father. But you have to have faith that that is true, or else none of the rest of this makes sense. If you believe he's some angry, pointy finger God, you will struggle to believe the truth about Jesus. Because you will constantly be feeling like he is angry with you and cross with you and you have to do something to get to him. So faith is required at the beginning in who God is. Next slide. Application. Your thoughts about who God the Father is are crucial. You cannot believe the free gift of Christ and view God as a pointy finger father. You have to understand God is a happy dad. He is that prodigal son father. That, that story should never be called Story of the Prodigal Son. That, that's to- whoever wrote that as a little subheading in your Bible totally, entirely, utterly missed the point of that story. <laughs> utterly, entirely. It's ridiculous. It should be the story of the happy dad. The father is the shocking character in that story, not the son. Next slide. The gospel is for faith. It's to be lived... Um, in a daily encounter with Christ through faith. All of Galatians 5, or in fact most of Galatians, is basically saying, you started by faith, why would you decide to pick up a rule book and continue with it? You're continuing your life. The life you now live is through faith, is through a relationship with the Holy Spirit, life by the Spirit, which Adrian did bring brilliantly to us a couple of weeks ago, life by the Spirit. There's a, um, a beautiful rendition of, in uh, Galatians, what is it, 5.5, 5, in the ESV says, for, the, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. I think there's a, a happier translation of that. I don't always like translation of the Bible that are one person's. 
This is a book, a book called The Mirror Bible, written by a chap called Francois de Troyes. Is that how you pronounce it? De Troyes? Um, and um, any version of the Bible that is always written by one person, you have to take slightly with a pinch of salt because you are only getting one person's perspective. Your NIV, your ESV, your NASB, those are all written by teams, 60 or so professionals coming together. But sometimes... There's just like, like the message by Eugene Peterson, there's sometimes somebody gets a glimpse of something that opens something up. Galatians 5.5, 5, our minds are made up. There is absolutely no advantage for anyone to pursue righteousness in the flesh. Righteousness is a spirit dimension reality and can only be grasped by faith. What God believes is our exclusive reference. Any other basis for righteousness leaves man falling hopelessly short. You walk through this life with faith. Faith in the person of Jesus. Let's come to the next slide. Oh, I did this last night. Am I going to go to this? I'm just going to throw this one out there. Um, It's just worth chewing over. You are welcome to disagree with me on this one. Please feel free to disagree with me if you choose. But this occurred to me. It says in Romans, whatever does not come from faith is sin. Now, I don't know what, you, what version of sin, what you define sin by. If you define sin by the list of things that Paul gives us in the New Testament, of do's and don'ts, especially to people like the Corinthians, I would challenge that. Feel free to disagree with me. I'm assuming most of you don't view sin as the Old Testament. Most of you are probably happy enough in your faith that you don't think that you have to follow the Old Testament rule book, you know, the, the, the Levitical laws. But probably most of you, I would imagine, still have some kind of view of a rule book. And I want to challenge that. dangerous it's terrifyingly dangerous it's massively dangerous for me to suggest that there isn't a big list of that there isn't a concrete list anymore whether it be Paul's letters or the red letter words of Jesus or the Old Testament Levitical laws but I suggest to you that if you are in any way viewing your right and your wrong, your what is okay, what's not okay, against a list of any form, you've missed the point of life by the Spirit. It says, I think it's on the next slide. We try the next slide, see if it's there. No. Um, it says, um, it's probably on a future slide somewhere, that if any of you accept circumcision, Paul says, you may as well just forget the whole thing. If you're, going to try, if you're going to try and be saved by just one bit of the law, you've got to pick up the whole thing. You can't just pick and choose the bits of the law that you want. This is obviously speaking to um, an audience that were used to the Old Testament. It's either law and all the law, or no law at all. And if it's no law at all, then you are left in this void, potentially, of what's right and what's wrong. How do I know? Is, is that the right... How, how will I know God? Is that a sin? Is that not a sin? 
uh, rules, rules, what's it saying, Paul's lists, can't do that, can't do that, oh, I feel safe again, good, I know where I stand. You've just put your toe back into the rule book again. You've just kind of accepted that whole circumcision thing. There needs to be a bit of it. I suggest you need to be floating on the slightly more ethereal, much scarier. People will probably shoot you down if you believe me. I may well get shot down for this. Point of view of it's life by the spirit. So what's a sin? What can I do? What can't I do? Hang on, I'll just check. Holy Spirit, Jesus, I've got a relationship with you. I'm walking through with you every day. I'm chatting to you all the time. What do I have faith for? What do I have peace for? What do I feel comfortable with? Yes, of course, what does the Bible say as a guideline, as a plumb line? Is this obviously counterintuitive to the Bible? But if it's not obviously counterintuitive to the Bible, or it's not even included in the Bible... It's all about your relationship with the Spirit. Um, there's also, this is a, another big thing, and I am going to go for this one. It's also very possible in your Christian walk to supplement, I'm free from all laws, there's nothing I have to do, oh, but I'm saved by faith. Right, got to work out faith, work out faith, work out faith. Faith in Jesus, got to have faith in Jesus. Faith, 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 faith. Mm, strong faith, there's a mountain, to move it. It's not moving. My faith isn't even the size of a mustard seed, and I'm busting a gut here to get some faith. That mountain isn't moving. And that's not, I suggest, what faith is meant to be. In the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, and again, um, this is my current understanding, but in the Greek, every time that I could see where it was talked about faith in Christ, Faith in God. The word in is not there. There are occasions when faith in something does appear and the word in is there. So clearly sometimes the writers put the word in there. But on lots of occasions, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ, line two here, this word here is not in the Greek. You have the word faith, Pisotis, something like that, I don't know, and then the word Jesus. And the writers, to make it easy for us, have slipped the word in in there. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. It might be that the way Greek works is that you know when there's faith and then a person, it means faith in that person. But I. How about. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own. It's the gift of God. If that's true, then your faith to move a mountain is not your faith. Your faith that you've got the righteousness of God is not your faith. It's the faith, you could almost say, of Jesus. Faith Jesus. Jesus' faith, the gift, it says in Ephesians, to you. I don't think any of us actually think that our faith is going to move a mountain. Genuinely, I don't think, perhaps you do, if you do, then great, you have a, a huge faith. But I don't think you, anybody in this room actually believes that the moving of a mountain is anything to do with them. 
you have to believe it's God doing it. And yet at times we do supplement the faith thing for ourselves. Okay? You are saved by a gift of faith given to you by God. Even the faith by which you are saved in the person of Jesus who is a gift to you, the faith is a gift to you. You are so utterly, entirely not involved in the process of your salvation, it is hilarious. It is so releasing to realise that God has done everything from first to last. He chose you, he sent Jesus, he gives you the faith that allows you to believe, and he then gives you his Holy Spirit, changes you on the inside, makes you an entirely new person, buries you with Jesus, raises you with Jesus, gives you the faith of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the miraculous power of Jesus. You are utterly uninvolved. And the minute you try to make yourself involved, you're putting a bit of you, a bit of that kind of, I'm involved in this process, a bit of the law back in. And you just dilute the essence of the gospel, the person of Jesus and his relationship with you, your vital living experience of him. Let's move on. The gospel is by faith. That's the application. I've done this... Oh, there we go. I like this list. No, I've said this already. Let's move on. Next one, please, Gail. The gospel is belief in Christ. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. John 3.16, God to love the world, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is not, again, a, a, um, something for you to do. This is not a basic belief that he existed. This is a a faith again. Is he who he says he is? Are you willing to take him at his word? Are you willing to admit that he has done immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine for you and it's given to you as a free gift? Are you willing to believe that? Because that takes humility to believe that someone's done it all for you. But if you're willing for that, then the gospel will change your life. Let's move on, next one. The gospel is not about what you do, it's about whom you believe. Salvation is not what you do, but whom you believe. You're not saved because you, be- because you do something, or because you say something, or because you thought something. You're saved because you believe in something. However, that belief then leads to a lot of action. So we're not saying once you're saved, you sit back and you do nothing. But because of your belief, because you believe that it's utterly, amazingly, wonderfully too good to be true and you've got this supernatural power coursing through your veins, you know, if, we, if we're united with him in a resurrection, surely we'll be united with him, sorry, if we're united with him in his death, surely we'll be united with him in a resurrection like his. It says. So you know what that verse says? You've got the same resurrection power that Jesus had. I see no reason, biblically, why we can't be walking through walls. Because that's what that verse says. We are united with him in his resurrection. He came out of the grave with an extraordinary body. That verse says to me, we are possessors of that kind of extraordinary body. Now, I haven't walked through any walls yet. I haven't miraculously appeared in any rooms. But theologically, my brain says, 
that is not impossible. That is entirely possible. And I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, and I'm not particularly bothered that it hasn't, because I'm not hung up on it. But I am open to it. I'm open to being like the resurrected Jesus, because that's what that verse says. Action will result, but it's about what you believe. Let's move on. The gospel is the great exchange. I've preached on this before, but I can never ever move on from this. This is one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love this. I have preached on this before, but this is just the gospel for me in this one verse. This is, like I say, my favourite verse. Let's move on to the next slide so I can unpack this a bit. The great exchange. On one side... Jesus, here's some questions we're going to look at. Whose righteousness did Jesus receive? What did he do to earn or deserve that righteousness? And how many of the consequences of that did Jesus receive? And likewise, whose have we received? What did we do to earn it? And what are the consequences that we've received? Let's go to the next slide. Answers. Jesus received our righteousness, or lack of For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Your sin, my sin, your righteousness, your lack of righteousness, my lack of righteousness, was given to him who was righteous. The swap that occurred, the great exchange, his righteousness, who knew no sin, was given to you. There was a direct swap that took place. He carried your unrighteousness. He gave you his righteousness. Do you know what the word righteousness means in the Greek? I can't even say it. It doesn't matter what the Greek word is. What it means is equity of character. You have equity of character with God now. You are as holy as you will ever be. It is impossible for you to ever get get any holier. The minute you think you have to get holier, you are suggesting that Jesus needs to improve his holiness somehow, or you haven't understood that you have his. Shocking stuff. If you disagree with me, then you haven't understood, I think, this verse. You are free to disagree with me, of course. Everyone is. Go and study this for yourself. But this is what this verse is saying. What did Jesus do to earn our righteousness? He did nothing. It was given to him. Our sin was given to him. He didn't earn it in any way. He never sinned. Likewise, what did you do to earn his righteousness? You did nothing. Same as Jesus. He got you. He's fully got you. Again, if you think you need to do anything to earn your righteousness, take a good look at Jesus and question whether he needed to do anything to earn yours. The two are intrinsically linked forever. You cannot question that you need to earn righteousness without believing that Christ did something to earn your sin. And you're happy with one, so you need to find a way to make peace with the other. What about the consequences? Jesus received the full consequences of sin. 
You have to believe that. You have to believe, and I'm sure you do, the full penalty of sin was put upon him at the cross. I'm sure none of you have any problem with that. How about the counter-truth? That the full consequences of his righteousness are now given to you. The full benefit, all the blessing, his holiness, his closeness to daddy God, his power, his intimacy, the permanent indwelling of him in the Trinity. All that Jesus is has been attributed to you in the same way that all that you were has been attributed to him. He remains a man in his divine state in whatever way it is that Jesus and is a man and fully man and fully God at the same time. Are you aware that there is now a man in the Trinity? When Jesus ascended, he didn't stop being fully human. So there is a human being now in the Trinity. You are so forever intrinsically linked with the person of God. If that is the case, then it's easy to believe that you are now in God, in Christ. If you, are, if you and Jesus are intrinsically linked and he is, as a man, permanently in the Trinity, then you have perfect intimate union with Daddy God all the time. I don't want to particularly diss particular songs, but the song that we sung this morning that Joe started with, she even mentioned, it sounds like a bit of a glorious contradiction, doesn't it? We must be careful that we don't sing half-truths that dilute our faith. And this is why Chris's album is just... This is why Chris wrote his album, because he wasn't finding songs out there that expressed the truth of what, of what we believe. We're not waiting for Jesus. We don't need him to come any closer. You're in Christ, and Christ as a man is in the Trinity. You cannot get any closer to God. He can't get any closer to you. you. You never have to wait for him. The term waiting for Jesus, we in this country have the term waiting for a bus. Like wait, that, that, that transition of time wait is not waiting on God. We don't wait f- until he comes. Waiting on God, you know, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. That doesn't mean that he's just down the road and he'll be here in three minutes' time. <laughs> And you need to gurn up some faith or some belief or do a few more worship songs and he's just at the door. Oh, and someone hit a wrong chord, he's gone out the door again. Sorry, you need to wait a bit longer. That's not it. Waiting on God is standing, like Joe said to us at the, right at the end there. It is that soaking. He's in me, he's bubbling up within me. I, I'm, I'm allowing the truth of his union with me to consume me to affect my mind because my mind sometimes needs to catch up with the truth of who my spirit is the gospel says that Jesus is now permanently in you all the time your worship should never be come Holy Spirit your worship should be thank you Holy Spirit that you're already in me come Holy Spirit come come brain wake up not come Holy Spirit but come brain wake up turn on to the reality of what has already happened Bubble up, Holy Spirit, that's already in me until all of me is aware of the inner truth. 
That's your worship now. Thanks and praise. We, we thank and praise God not because we're looking for him to come, but because we're thanking him for what he's already done. I'm going by that clock. I said that at the beginning. I'm being cheeky. I know. Um, let's move, move on. The gospel is his righteousness. We've done this already. His righteousness given to you. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Philippians, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. Let's move on. Oh, I will mention this. Um, this one here, I've got like two, two minutes left. I was taught as a young believer that God views me in Christ as far as my salvation goes, as far as like a judicial courtroom goes. Um, but I still need to, I'm saved, I'm safe, I'm going to go to heaven, but I still need to impress him while I'm around. And there was, I was taught this kind of distinction between the judicial and the relational. You know, as far as the law goes, God has saved you. You're not going to be punished anymore. Jesus took the beating that God wanted to give to you. God had a big stick and he was going to beat your backside with it. And Jesus came along and said, hit mine instead. But he still got the stick. He still got the stick. You best not muck up. You best not sin. You best not do this list of things wrong. Utter diatribe rubbish. It cannot be true. What Jesus did was make you so pure and so holy, give you his righteousness, so that as I read from this section earlier on, what God believes is our exclusive reference. And what does God believe about us? That we are like Jesus. There can be no stick any longer, because when he sees you, he sees you as righteous and as holy as Jesus Christ. Let's move on. Freedom from the law, I've said that already. We'll move on from this one. Next one. Uh, yep, we'll move on from that. New life in the spirit. Um, if you want a good talk on this one, listen to Adrian's two weeks ago. It was a brilliant talk on life by the spirit. I will wrap up with this. Um, because of the truth of what I've said, because... It's a gift from God, because God did it all, because you have very little part to play in it, because you have the indwelling Holy Spirit now within you, because you are as righteous as Christ, because when God looks at you, he sees you as holy. No, because when God looks at you, you are holy. Not just he sees you as, that suggests that he sees something that's not true, because you are now holy. Life now is a delightful, intimate union with the Holy Spirit. Every day, it's a walk, it's a communion with what is, what am I going to, what adventure are we going on today, Jesus? And this is where you get to, then. This is, this is how we can then extend the kingdom. This is where we get to go and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, set the captives free. This is when we go to Isaiah 61 all over Chelmsford. Because we have good news to give them. Not that they are filthy sinners and God was very patient and decided to not look at them anymore. But because 
through Jesus. I'm not going to say that. But because there is a, a, a free gift for them of perfection. To be given to them, to be received by faith. Last one. Let's move on to the very last page. Thanks, Gail. Become, there we go. In Leviticus 19.2, there's a, there's a quote that says, um, Be holy because I am holy. And quite a lot of people know that one. Um, and I always used to think that was a, um, a command. Because I'm holy, you've got to be like me. And that's actually an incorrect translation of that word. The Hebrew word there for be holy, because I'm holy, it shouldn't read be holy. What it, what it actually says is, holy you have become. Because I am holy. Hmm? Does sound like we're like Yoda, yes. I just so right back in the Old Testament, this was God's plan in Leviticus. This has always been he hasn't he didn't change his plan at the cross, as it were. There's an Old Testament New Testament plan. Right back at the beginning, he intended for you to be as holy as he is. Because he is holy, because he's given you his own holiness. I'm going to stop there. Please apologise to um, children's leaders when you pick up their kids five minutes late. I'm so sorry. Thank you very much.